and welcome to On Resistance. I'm Bobby London. And I'm Jay. Welcome back. We're back on the air. Today we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things. Um, it's been a while since we've been back in the studio here to record. So um, <laughs> we're just going to catch up with you all today on what's been going on. So Rachel Maddow did a very all suspenseful dropping of Trump's uh, tax records, 2005, <laughs> two sheets. That was not as interesting as I think people were hoping for it to be, but possibly with more, maybe it will inspire more people to leak information and provide more information regarding um, his money. For me, I feel like it's less about like specifically like finding out about Trump's Trump the president's like finances. Like I want to know that because like this person is in charge of my life because they're put as president. They're creating laws that like affect me and people I care about. But also like I want to know all these rich people that are hoarding money. Like I want to know where they're hoarding their money. I want to know how they're getting their money. Like how they're stealing it. Who they're stealing it from. Who's helping them steal it. And so I feel like yeah, let's expose them all. It's like. Let's start digging and researching all these wealthy people, all these people who have been stealing land and resources from us. If folks feel comfortable starting with Trump, I feel like let's start there and then continue looking at all of the competing interests because capitalism, white supremacy worldwide, investing in and destabilizing areas and entire economies are built on that. It was interesting, though, because there was a little bit of hype around the... There's been hype about the taxes since before the election. So if we're now coming back to that, you know, it's important we don't get stuck there and that we actually push beyond it because some folks were saying, well, if we see his taxes, then we'll really know... What? How much does he pay? How much does he not pay? And in spite of that, you know, part of capitalism is giving corporations a tax break in order to support them, maintain their control over industry at the expense of the workers and people and the environments and the communities that corporations move into that they have absolutely no accountability for, even if they're poisoning the water supply or the air around them, like with these battery explosions and even People were looking to see if there's conflict of interest based on Trump's taxes. And I just found that a little interesting because, sure, you know, we should, like ga- like Bobby said, gather documents and expose as many people, especially people with power in the ruling class, um, as possible. But, of course, Trump has a conflict of interest. I don't think we need to see his taxes to know that, you know, under him, he has, like, over 500 companies uh, that he didn't have to dissolve or get rid of those assets to become a the president, he just handed them off to his sons to manage. So when people are worried about, is there a conflict of interest between Trump and his contacts from other countries, then of course there is a conflict of interest because for-profit capitalism is the conflict of interest um, the world over. So I just thought it was interesting that we could learn as much as we can, but not to get, you know, the media cycle is going to try to profit as much as possible off of the taxes conversation. I feel like it also does like a disservice because a lot of people after the reporting was done was just kind of like, oh, you know, and then it makes people more like disinterested. You know, that's part of like what her brand of media, you know, 24-hour cable news is supposed to do. She tweeted it knowing that like everyone's going to want to know because like, yeah, people want transparency. Um, And it's easier to desire transparency when you don't like the person in office. 
because people were fine not having transparency when um, President Obama was in office, or they wouldn't really care about any of this if Clinton was in office. But since Trump has become this larger-than-life sort of, like, villain that, you know, people are more interested in a democracy. And to me, that's, like, the big critique with liberalism is that, like, there isn't follow-through. There isn't just, like, this, like, actual death and caring about, like, you know, these topics. You know, I know someone who was queer-bashed and then arrested and was being held in a Santa Ana ICE facility under President Obama. That wasn't Trump's America. That was under President Obama. There was no fanfare. Like, there was no care. There was no, like, you know, outcry for all the people that were being deported, you know, in 2016, 2015, 2014, you know, for the last eight years. But now is this issue that everyone wants to, like, care about, which is, you know, okay, I'm happy because we should care about this. But it's like until we get to the point where people are going to have that much interest and anger when it's a Democrat or someone who they favor in office, then nothing's ever going to change. This is, like, the issue with liberalism. It's just, like, there's not this real structural, like, desire or understanding that, like— it's not just that both parties are the same, but it's like that both parties are committing harm and violent acts against people in the world. And that like that has to be cared about, not just when the person is a Republican. There's definitely a challenge where there is, quote unquote, for lack of a better phrase, mass protest emerging right now and and definitely calls for transparency. And I think it's really important to challenge ourselves to not be selective in those calls for those actions to expose. And so the trend of having some sort of whistleblower, having some sort of WikiLeaks that happens and it does create a a little bit of a frenzy. And then sometimes the documents or the information is looked at and applied and sometimes it's just kind of gathered and then dismissed. And so we're also seeing kind of that where when now that sources are coming forward and we're finding out about the links between Trump and Russia, there is a selective kind of hearing happening from the Democrats and the liberals and emphasizing of that, which should come out. It should come out all of the ties that capitalists like Trump have throughout the world in order to ensure power and entrenched economic interest. And yes, that is what is running the United States. But there's no really any reason to suspect that similarly from the other interested, affected parties with institutional power that are vying and competing for influence with characters and capitalists like Trump, don't have similar relationships um, with other intelligence forces or other countries. Like this country collaborates very closely with Israel and there's no reason to suspect that those ties don't exist. And really, I think it's important to challenge the selective hearing that we're having because regardless of whether the leaks, you know, the source of the leaks came from Russia and in regards specifically to the emails of the Uh, during the election that discredited the Clinton campaign based on their actual written emails, those those were kind of selectively dismissed, whereas these now are kind of being very overemphasized. So is there a place where we can get to where we're taking into account critically, you know, released information, whistleblower information, 
And we don't have to guard or ignore some parts of the information in order to preserve economic capitalist party interests of the Democrats um, in order to demean or to call out rightfully the opposition. How can we have a structural critique that shows that the opposition is really not this versus this, but, you know, top versus the the bottom or more of a, a hierarchical critique or look at the forces that are there are forces vying for power and competing for power within the ruling class but for us to look at the entire situation we have to understand that we are being pressured to side with parts of the ruling class still so yeah there's a friend in like the cia or fbi there's i feel like people are actually like rooting for like a coup and then that's like, I just feel like that's why Hillary feels like she can run again for 2020, which is like ridiculous. But I guess they're hoping that like people are just going to be like, oh, well, you should have won. You were robbed and like, you know, since Russia stole the election and here you you can do it. And it's like the Democrats like continue to, you know, ignore and like see Nancy Pelosi saying um, when the young person asked them like, you know, hey, we're kind of over capitalism. And she's like, we are a capitalist party. Like, if you had it twisted, like, no, we are a capitalist party, which is like, I appreciate. Yes, let them know. <laughs> you know, like, let them, instead of this, like, fantasy idea that the Democrats can be anything else. And you get people like Sean King, and he's just like, each time I see him, and it's just so funny because he's just tweeting like, well, you know, even after um, Tom Perez end up winning um head of the dnc chair they basically like just used the fact that he was muslim and like right for the chair the new chair of the democratic party and like just continues being nasty and racist yeah and just ran this like oh well you know he's anti-semitic and you know just fear-mongered and used like the fact that he was a black muslim for him not to win which i feel like is just completely exposing of the dnc but yet you know, you have people like Sean King and other prominent supposed radicals still saying, like, you know, invest your energy in the Democratic Party. Like, still, you know, give them your time and your energy. And, like, why? What has, like, like, on, like just, like, this isn't, you know, this isn't philosophical. This is just, like, they continue to show, like, that they have no interest in, like, the working class, the poor the houseless, the, like, non-white. Why would you keep putting energy in that unless your interest is to keep the status quo the same? On the other side of that, it's supposed to be the left, right? And the left is, like, it's only the working class. It's only the working class. You know, you're seeing this sort of, like, Jacobin meltdown of kind of, like, freaking out about identity politics and that they're being called out for their whiteness and... But, like, instead of Jacobin kind of, like, taking a step back and being, like, well, you know, we're getting a lot of criticism. Like, maybe we should, like, from, like, non-white people, maybe we should take a step back and reflect. They're just, like, continuing to, like, even go harder, you know? That is actually a, I'm going to lightly say, a reactionary tendency right now amongst the left, the backlash against what is being called identity politics. I do, I am excited to go into and have a show on that at some point because... Because I feel like when a leftist uses the word identity (coughs) politics and when a liberal 
uses the word. They ha- they're used in different ways. And the same thing when a leftist is talking about liberalism versus when a leftist is talking about identity politics in non-liberal efforts. So I think it'll be interesting to flesh that out. But there is a reaction happening, kind of entrenching um, people where they are defining class a very specific, narrow way, not necessarily a grouping with shared struggle that is coming together to fight shared conditions, but specifically talking about it as your position as a worker, which I think is a, a, a kind of narrow way of looking at those dynamics. There was that chair race. Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison versus um, Tom Perez. Yeah. And um, because that same exact kind of like slanderous tactics was used by Clinton against Obama mm-hmm. in 2008. How much is really changing? <laughs> it's been eight years. And that's the same practice that's happening where you have this overemphasis in this society on leadership structures being the only way to have change. And then... You know, you have these organizations, and it's particularly the Democratic Party that positions itself as some sort of social, moral alternative to conservative, whatever the hellism. And um, but they replicate the same type of racism, exclusion, harm, oppression in their own organizational structure as a Democratic Party. This the idea of like a party like the Democrats even having membership. What does that even mean? Like they don't even care about you. Are they doing direct response when people are getting raided? Are they? They're not the ones coordinating the the massive outpourings of, you know, when people went to the airports, even though when you look at that and analyze that, that still has some selective aspects to it because people were responding to the fact that, like, people that had visas were being denied versus looking at the attack on people who are undocumented, regardless of whatever kind of green card or visa they may have held at the time. So, yeah, we are seeing some positions being taken that weren't being taken before when there was a democratic a democrat president in office and you know there is this selective response to information that's being released and it's just kind of negligent to continue following into patterns that kind of are either democrat or republican really and i fear that this is going to be the case until like we as people really deconstruct our desire to be led or think that like we must be led like i'm kind of like really fascinated with the idea of just like questions and like discussions the strong narrative is that it needs to be action which i think like action's going to happen no matter what because of survival so like when the family in Arizona, when the mother was being deported, when people, you know, stood in front of the van and said like, you know, no, you're not going to take this person from our community. You know, yes, that was called by um, a local organization. That was just like the immediate action of like wanting to like say no more. And I feel like in the larger scale of just like how do we want to coexist with each other on this like planet, we need to have but not even that, actually. And then I say that, and I'm like, that's never going to happen. Like, we're never going to have this large base conversation. General assemblies are never going to turn into, like, sort of places for us to facilitate our autonomous desires. Like, you know, how am I going to coexist with someone who doesn't want my existence? And, like, how am I going to try to, like, 
you know, I don't even like have a community to be able to have an autonomous one. So it's like really in the end, it's like you just have to be your individual self and figure out how you are going to survive in this horrible world. And like, and I didn't want to go that route. <laughs> I really did it. You know, I've really been trying to like push through that, but I don't see anything else. It's so sad. Out of all the things that call themselves options or alternatives or paths or to these structural hierarchies, like leftism being one of them that calls itself an alternative and a solution, but tends to replicate a lot of the similar dynamics that are being fought against in terms of like these organizations that have structures where like you can't really disagree with the organization outside of the organization or if someone's an abuser and has a position with social capital within an organization it's much harder to call them out versus someone who is outside of an organization still difficult to call out abusers with social positions um but then organizational positions and like the left is you know for the most part overrepresented by many organizations um, and organization is applauded as, like, the only way forward. I'm not necessarily telling, teaching people about self-organization. So, yeah, the options that call themselves options are not always really providing alternatives. So it can be really challenging. So far, I feel like small groups is all I can really find some sort of faith and practice in small groups that at the same time can form larger shapes when when we act together because the pursuit of if we're looking at the democrats or republicans and the pursuit of an alternative to those groups as the left you know as opposed to liberals because the left tries to distinguish itself from liberalism by saying that the left is pursuing revolutionary alternatives but within that there's this cry for leftist unity and that just smashes all discussion that's needed. And really, we do need to have these discussions. And at the same time, we're still reacting to a lot of the policy changes. And like, it's frustrating to still feel like if there's a oppressive executive order, which not many executive orders are not oppressive, and we are, you know, at moving, agitating, responding, reacting to them. But like, just look at history and like executive orders have have over and over and over again, been authoritarian, violent, genocidal. So it's just regardless of what the figurehead, you know, what party the figurehead belongs to, the capacity for power and oppression within the structure that exists, which is the U.S. government and all of the forms that enable the U.S. government that make up the state, you know, if that remains to be the case, then <laughs> just changing the person in office is not going to change the harm structure that we live under. Um, and then there's also looking, you know, internationally and globally. Whenever I get too deep in despair, I try to dig deep, deep, deep <laughs> into that place of, like, you know, that, like, moment of time where, like, there was sort of, like, this international coordination to overthrow the, like, power regime wherever that may be. You know, there was, like, a a force where it felt like it was possible and reliable, you know, that it could happen. My point before about bringing up, like, the, I think we need to really challenge our internalized desire to be led is because I think people are uncomfortable when people bring out ideas but don't necessarily have, like, you know, the way to do it, you know, or um, 
the like specific map or game plan because like whenever you're like okay well two-party system isn't working you know like this representative government isn't working then like usually i'll get a response like okay well then what do we do and it's like and if i don't have like well here's my game book right now and this is all you have to do then like it's like well then what are we even doing what can i i you know and it's like well as long as like you want that like that that right there that's the problem like that like someone has the answer like I can't have the answer for your life. Like, I can't say how you're supposed to exist on this planet. All I can say is that the way we are currently existing is completely wrong and violent and unhealthy. And I can tell you why. Because we're sick, because we're unhappy, because I look at my timeline and I just see people talking about how they want to kill themselves because they're so miserable in this world, you know? Like, I know that's not right. I know that, like, you know... All these different, like, beings on the planet that are just dying because of the violent way in which we live on this planet. I know that's not right. I know people being bombed around the world isn't right. Like, we can start at what's not right and just stop. (laughs) You know, we could just stop doing the violent things. Like, you know, before we even get to, like, alternatives of, like, you know, how, like, what kind of, like, higher government we're going to have, we can just stop. Just stop doing the stuff that we all know is wrong, but we have no power to be able to make the people who have power to stop. That's... That's not good. Like, how do we how do we do that? You know, like, is general strikes the only way? Like, you know, is marching the only way? Are these protesting the only way? Is you know, is armed militias the only way? Like, because like that's what people have been doing forever, and it's still going on, so it's not working. So like, how do we do it? I don't have the answer, but I'm still allowed to ask the question. I'm interested in that. I'm interested in like the discussion of how we do it. There's definitely an avoidance of ambiguity that kind of happens where it's like it is a rabbit hole because there's really so much wrong. And I understand that it can be really overwhelming to kind of once you go down the path of learning, unlearning, taking the values that you have inherited and deconstructing them and then trying to reapproach the harm that is really just saturating Every day, it it can be very overwhelming. So I see that. But using the same methodology, similar methodology of, well, who can we elect to fix that? Or like that isn't allowing for the shifts that maybe could come up if that wasn't our go-to answer. So I do think it is about the ambiguity. And personally, I have like an agreement with myself whenever I'm debating online or whatever. When people get to the point where they're like, well, what's your alternative? Or like, show me the plan or like vulnerably demonstrate to me all your goals and visions (laughs) or else I won't listen to you ever again. I have this rule for myself to like, if they're being messed up and they're not actually listening, like I won't tell them. And like, they'll get frustrated and people will get upset. But it's like, this uncomfortableness of sitting with the gravity of the problem and like studying, studying what is the harm and understanding that your personal experience also isn't universal, that there are perspectives and experiences that you don't experience. And so you can't skip those. You can't skip those steps and sitting with like the gravity of the structure that exists and understanding that all these harmful things are are really messed up And also they're not accidental. And so they can't just be band-aided over. They're structural. They're purposeful. They they are benefiting someone, some group. And just sitting with that and allowing yourself to really continue to see the full 
full spectrum of the issues and learn about the ones that don't affect you before immediately demanding that someone tell you what the other way is to live. And like, if someone is like, genuinely engaged, sometimes I will be like, yes, there are alternatives. There are many. There's so many, you know, some of them have been practiced before colonization have been erased. And part of the issue is that colonization stole a lot of practices from people in order to enact this oppression. So when people say, oh, you know, because you're not answering my question, you know, on demand, then why should I listen to you about the problem? It's just another means of deflecting from wanting to see the full extent of the issue. And, you know, we all can analyze and draw things from what we see. But for me, what's been what has been helpful is looking at and seeing that one of the most common denominators has been hierarchy. Like if if it's gender violence, you know, if it's systematic racism, if it's queer phobia, patriarchy, they're just the through line of those structures is forms of hierarchy. So for me, that's helpful. That's that. That's where I like to start. Because once I learned that, I was like, okay, this is us really trying to get to the root. And so it is a questioning process. It is a discussion process. And at some point, there are, there are ideas along that process, but no one person can provide that to the world. And also, how unsustainable is that movement? <laughs> if, like, it's on the pressure of everyone to prove to everyone else that, like, there are other ways when like how is that even the question when clearly this isn't absolute capitalism didn't always exist i think because of um the environmental circumstance and the the strengthening of like fascism and authoritarianism that these discussions will happen I think there are happening, right? They are happening. This is the discussion. You know, this is one. I'm sure, you know, of course, there are many happening all around the world. There are people who are actively working to destroy this current violent cycle. I guess my fear is, you know, every dystopian movie, the gap has gotten so big. The hierarchy of violence, the monopoly of violence has become so strong for the state. And not just, I mean, in the state, but like really the oligarchs, right? The rich the power that we won't be able to actually combat them, even if we do try to create this, you know, like it won't be allowed. Like, I honestly think it's going to it's only a matter of years till like we're not allowed to like leave borders as like freely as like, you know, those with passport privilege are like they're already starting to like restrict it and they're already starting to make it like, you know, way more like controlled. Of just the, I mean, I think there should be way more outrage and fear that they're going through people's um personal electronic devices when they're going through border that, that's like that's terrifying like so i think it's really funny whenever i see like new yorker i think had um an article and it's like uh fascism isn't here yet but it's almost i'm like what is fascism then if this is not fascism if like if, if this is not fascism then i don't know what fascism i then i really do not know what fascism is and i really like i have no idea but i know what this is is terrifying and i know yeah that i really really hope that me and the people i love and care about are able to survive this yeah that's that's totally real i feel like there's not a lot of choice and consent in the structure but to see it for what it is for the harm it causes, and for the harm that it will continue to bring, I do feel like there is a degree of saying, well, it's going to harm me, 
maybe to varying degrees. And so I'm going to choose to resist it rather than fix it. I think if anything, that might be one of the choices that we have because they're constantly pressuring people, general people, and then specifically to me, it's offensive to pressure oppressed people to fix a system that oppresses them and to to use the energy and the labor and the ideas and the vision and the effort of people to fix a system that harms them. So let's stop doing that. And also, there is so much shame and pressure on if you do choose to no longer want to fix this system and you know, just want to live your life or you want to stop the system, who is it? There's a, an artist that says, I'm a product of the system that I was born to destroy. And I think that it's okay to talk about destroying the system. And there's all this like, ooh, ah, shame, you can't be destructive. But to destroy a destructive system, is that really destructive? So that's all I would just add is like choosing to resist and then also allowing the mind to open up towards the idea of creatively destroying something that harms you. That's pretty much it. But thank you so much for listening. Um, (laughs) We'll be back on the air. Your favorite happy show. (laughs) So you've been listening to On Resistance. This isn't going to always be like your bubblegum pop, like take it to the streets. Like, you know, like it's real. You can listen to more real stuff on every Friday except for the first Friday at 7.30. You can hear this show and all our other past shows at www.soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. You can follow us on Twitter at onresistancela and email us at onresistanceradio at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.